With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, The Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. Well, hearing this on Saturday morning, Partly sunny, high near 33, west wind 10 to 15 miles an hour. Tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 19, west wind around 15 miles an hour. Sunday, high with a high, sunny with a high near 28, west wind 9 to 15 miles an hour. And Sunday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 19, west wind 6 miles an hour. Becoming light and variable in the week, in the evening. Now that's that's three days of a west wind, which is a big high. High is coming up from down south. They had a big, big storm went by Maine last night out over the Atlantic. Anybody got caught out there in it? It was a pretty rough ride. Then Monday, most cloudy, with a high near 39. Southwest wind, five to seven miles an hour. The uh, gas prices in Maine. Gas is a dollar ninety-one all over Bangor. A whole bunch of stations down there. Gas is two thirty-nine in Booth Bay Harbor. So that's almost fifty cents higher in Booth Bay Harbor than it is in Bangor. And there's a, they got some competition in Bangor now because Sam's Club used to usually have the cheapest gas in town, which you have, a, have to have a membership to. Buy gas at Sam's. Now there's a BJ's open. Uh, one of the big chain stores down there closed up. They moved into BJ's, and uh, they've got gas. And so Sam's Club and BJ's is the cheapest. Some people will have memberships in both. I'm going to take a look at BJ's. I've been in one BJ's in my life down in Portland, and. Uh, it was a nice store, great big parking lot with big parking spaces. Their parking spaces are designed for pickup trucks because even down in Portland, there's a lot of pickups. So they got a big parking lot. And, uh, you know, I can get my big GMC 2500 diesel in there and still be able to open the doors. It's a wonderful thing. Diesel is 229 in Biddeford. Same station, same low prices last week. 
Diesel is three dollars and ten cents in Oakland, and uh, same station, and the highest price in the state is Oakland. And somebody will pull in there and fill up, never give it a second thought. There are no high or low prices for diesel in Aroostook County right now. But it's kind of nice to see gas at a dollar ninety-one. It uh, it dropped down to, a couple of weeks ago. It dropped down to one ninety-nine. But there's a there's a story behind this. The, Europe is full of diesel. There are lots of lots of vehicles run on diesel in Europe. They don't have the same emission standards we do. They buy the lowest price petroleum product they can buy for for vehicles. They got all little tiny three-cylinder diesels. I say tiny because uh, you know I've got a three-cylinder diesel in my my tractor, and it's a got a lot of torque. It's a, it's a 32 horse, and they've got small diesels that have not much more than 32 horse riding all over Europe in little economy cars, and they slow down on the hills, but they make up for it going downhill. So. Uh, there's a glut of oil in the world, and prices will continue to fall. Companies that are drilling for oil, uh, there's no point in drilling a new oil well right now anywhere on the planet because there's such a glut of oil. We've got more than enough oil, too much oil in the United States, too much oil in Canada, too much oil in Europe, too much oil in Mexico. Every place that's got oil has too much of it. So in order to be able to buy food or whatever it is you'd like to buy, maybe a new airplane or a boat, you've got to cut the price or nobody's going to buy your product. So the price of oil is going to continue to go down. And it's it's a logistical problem right now because there are hundreds and hundreds of oil tankers all over the world full of oil. Now some of it's diesel, some of it's gasoline. Gasoline is usually refined close to the to the final destination. So you don't you don't have very many tankers going around the world full of gasoline except those countries that don't have gasoline refineries like Chile for example. Chile imports all of its petroleum. There's oil wells in Chile. And uh, I kind of like to refer to Chile uh, because I've been there. And uh, it's a little country down, I say little, it's a long country, thousands of miles coastline from Peru all the way down to the tip of South America at a place called Punta Arenas. And below Punta Arenas is a great big island that uh, you've seen the 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 great big island or great big mountain at the mouth of the Straits of Gibraltar, and it's a triangular mountain sticking right up out of the out of Europe, looking across at Africa, and that's the mouth of the Mediterranean Sea. And that island is kind of triangular shaped. And some insurance company has has their motto as the rock. They refer to it as the rock. And it's a triangular island. Well, this Cape of Horn 
down off of South America is also a great big triangular rock. I've been around Cape Horn both ways. And uh, you got some pretty wild weather down there because in Chile you got the Andes. The Andes pitch right straight up out of the Pacific Ocean. And uh, the wind blows in off the Pacific. The prevailing wind is out of the west at that latitude. In some latitudes, the prevailing wind is out of the east. The sailors of old paid a lot of attention to that because the quickest way across the ocean is to go with the wind. So the wind blows in off the ocean to Chile and rises up and it rains. And uh, this rising air is called uh, advection. And uh, when air rises, water condenses and it rains. So going around Cape Horn is quite an adventure because of the tremendous winds and storms and waves. It's treacherous, way south. I mean, north of there, there are glaciers in Chile, in Argentina. Well, people think of the south as being warm, and, you know, down around the equator, it's real warm. Then across the equator, on a Coast Guard icebreaker. The only U.S. military ship ever to run aground inside an active volcano. Speaking of U.S. military ships, we've got two brand new ones. We've got the USS Milwaukee, which went up to Halifax, Nova Scotia, had a port of call. Sailors all got to go ashore and meet the locals and get back aboard the ship, and they took off out of... uh, out of uh, Halifax, headed down to Mayport, Florida, which is going to be their new new home port. It's could be the fastest surface ship in the fleet. We don't know how fast the uh, the new uh, Zumwalt is going to be, DD-1000. It was just launched out of uh, Bath Ironworks, most expensive destroyer ever built. It's the one that's, they call it a stealth destroyer because radar signals bounce off it and go, go back to the point of origin. They go off into space. They're deflected. So they went down to Portland. They found a fisherman that was in distress and got him rescued. They didn't rescue him themselves. They just found him. And they reported that. And so right off on their first trial run, they haven't had the commissioning yet, but the first trial run at sea, they, they saved a fisherman, which is a good thing. And they went to Portland, and people got to stand there and look at this thing. It's headed back up. And they're going to make some adjustments and things, but it, it seems to be a very stable ship. The Milwaukee is a new, fast, literal ship. Literal means, uh, it's not like literally, Reality, literal, is is coastal waters, relatively shallow water. You used to make jokes about the Coast Guard being shallow water sailors, but that's what they do. They they uh, you know guard the coast and and uh, watch out for smugglers and and rescue fishermen and whatnot. So. Uh, My phone is ringing. I'll call in back later. 
We'll just see that it's ringing. I'm going to turn the ringer off. <laughs> anyway, we... Uh, We have this little ship called the USS Milwaukee. And the USS Milwaukee is a very fast ship. You can look it up on the Internet, USS Milwaukee. spelled just like the beer in the city out there in the Midwest. Very fast. And they've got some video of it. They've got some video of it making a U-turn, leans way over, and just kicks up this huge wake. Very powerful ship. And it'll do 45 knots. Now, not a lot of... Uh, not a lot of surface ships will do 45 knots. Bull Halsey was called 40, 31 knot Halsey. He had destroyers and he told them to go 31 knots. That's flank speed. That's just flat out as fast as that ship will go. Burns up a lot of fuel. So if you got the fuel available, that's what you want to do. Is uh, you know you can conserve fuel to go further. But in the military situation, if you're going fast, there's two things. One, it's harder to, for the enemy to hit you. And two, you can find the enemy sooner. And as they said, I mean to go in harm's way, John Paul Jones. And the Navy has gone in harm's way. We defeated the, the Japanese in three and a half years. They had a, a pretty mighty, pretty mighty naval force that they built back during the late 20s and 30s, getting ready for World War II. And uh, they jumped in after two and a half years after Germany was attacking the rest of Europe. They uh, they hit Pearl Harbor. Big mistake, Hirohito. And I mentioned last week what we built. We built 20 aircraft carriers in three and a half years in our country. 20. Now, we didn't build the shipyards from the ground up. We had shipyards. And we had Rosie the Riveter working down in South Portland building these uh, cargo ships, hauling stuff to Europe. We lost a lot of cargo ships, but we could build them faster than the Japanese could sink them. North Atlantic is cold. We sent cargo ships up to Murmansk, Russia, all the way up the west coast of Norway, around the corner and over and down into Murmansk to bring in C-47s. We built C-47s and loaded them on the ships with the wings off, and uh, they would take them off the ship, set them on the dock, and they had a gravel runway running off the end of the dock. They'd put the wings on, fuel them up, start them up, take off right off the end of the pier, Russians. They took one down to uh, down near Moscow. They took it all apart, duplicated it, and started making the C-47s themselves. People back then were more creative and more inventive because they were better educated. Russia was true of Russia. It was true of Germany. Look what Germany did. Germany built rockets, all kinds of rockets. They had rocket airplanes. Germany has no oil wells. 
None. They brought their oil from Romania in pipelines and in trucks and fueled the, their entire war machine in Germany out of Ploiesti in Romania. Ploiesti was a big oil field on the west coast of the Black Sea. And when they ran out, we bombed the heck out of Ploiesti. We took off out of North Africa, flew across the Mediterranean, bombed Ploiesti, and flew back. We lost a whole bunch of bombers doing that. But we were cranking out bombers about every 30 minutes. B-25s, B-17s. So we, uh, we had a huge industrial base, which we're losing for many reasons. But the biggest reason is that we borrowed too much money to fund Lyndon Johnson's Grand Society. Democrats had this big idea, let's pay every pe- people not to work. So, for some people, generation after generation, since 1964, their families have set as a goal not to work. And the government will pay us not to work. It's a culture. It's a society. It's an entitlement society. And one of these days, they're going to stick the EBT card in the machine on the first day of the month. And it's going to say zero balance. Then what's going to happen? Nobody knows. Rush Limbaugh said that the the Republican Party had committed suicide two years ago. It's true. They did. And those few state delegations that were constitutionalists, patriots, responsible citizens, were essentially evicted from the Republican convention down in Tampa. It happened to Maine. But we weren't alone. It happened to Nevada and a bunch of other states. And they absolutely trashed their principles the Constitution, and our way of life. Democrats have been doing this since 1964, and the Republicans finally said, screw it, we're just, that's it. We're just going to coast along until we're right off the cliff. The Republican base, the middle class, the entrepreneurs, the business owners, you got a guy who is who runs a business, whether it's a small construction business or a welding shop, fabrication shop, uh, a retail chain. Uh, I won't use the names of any particular retail chains because I don't know who owns them. But you got these family retail chains all over the country. You got four or five stores, and we used to have uh, family names in Bucksport. There was uh, a Doug's Shop and Safe. And that was a family-owned business that started in Maine. And uh, each one of the kids in the family had a few stores. Doug was one of them. And Doug's Shop and Save in Bucksport was a 
popular supermarket, the only supermarket in Barsport at the time. And it's a good little mill town, good stable economy. And uh, and they, provi- they provided a valuable service. They had good prices and good service, and they knew people, and, and it was a family-owned business. They're disappearing. And the Republicans are annihilating the middle class in our nation. It's, and they, they know it, and they're still doing it. It's a, it's a tragedy, and Joe Sixpack sitting home watching American heroes and uh, Dancing with the Stars and all these types of reality shows are absolutely not based on reality or talent or anything else. It's just, it's all, it's fiction, you know. I guess you know fiction is fun. Lots of you know, Zane Gray used to used to write fiction all the time. He was a very popular author. He wrote about the West. And it was it was based on things that were realistic. They could happen. And it's like uh funny the name excuse me, but there was a writer that wrote uh wrote about uh Alaska and the Yukon, the far north. And these were these were based on things that could happen and the struggles and, and the triumphs of the individual cowboys and, and uh, people that ran sled dog teams and trappers and hunters and there was uh, there was an arg- there was men's magazines one of them was Argosy Argosy magazine was an adventure magazine there were uh, and there were a few articles on economics and, and different industries and different occupations that people had, and they and they used to have ads in the back for for uh, wolvers. The federal government used to hire people to to shoot wolves out in the ranching country, Montana, North Dakota, and this was a you could hunt wolves and they would pay you to hunt wolves. And the occupation was called a wolver, and of course, you couldn't do that today. The wolf is a is a noble animal. Even though wolves do the same thing they've done for the thousands of years, they they hunt packs, they hunt herds. You know, that's lots of food in a herd. And what they'll do is they'll pick the one that the weakest one in the herd, and they'll chase that one until they catch it. Uh, whether it's a buffalo or or whatever, or cattle and sheep and goats. And the wolves would prey on them, so they hired wolvers to hunt wolves. But Argosy and men's magazines back then weren't all full of naked women. They were adventure magazines, and they all of the stories had a moral to them. You know, hard work will pay off, and personal responsibility and honor, honesty were were valued. And those were the good old days. But at this point in time, when personal responsibility and honor, truthfulness, keeping your word, you say you're going to do something, you know, you do it. It might not be on time, but you'll get it done. 
And we sense a loss in our country. At the same time, we realize that it's getting worse. Those of us that were alive and working in the 50s, I worked on a dairy farm, cleaning up behind the cows, and it splashes. <laughs> so, uh, and that's how I started out. And I said last week that every job I've ever had is gone. All of them. I mean, physically, I don't mean that I was replaced and somebody else has the job. Nobody's got the job. The jobs are gone. And I looked at something today. Uh, That was a wake-up call. I've I've known that this was going to happen, and it is happening. And our economy is circling the drain. And I've mentioned the the term pump and dump. Pump and dump is where you get a few stockbrokers. I'll keep it on a small scale. But the system, you get a bunch of guys and they'll run up the price of a stock. Say people Joe Joe Dokes on Main Street say, well, look at this stock. This stock is rising. I ought to buy some. So he'll go in there and he'll buy some. But Joe Dokes on Main Street is a, is a vanishing breed because individuals and day traders have figured it out. And they, it's there's no control. They cannot influence the value of where they put their money. So if you buy stock in a specific company. You don't have any control over it. The company isn't paying much at all for dividends, and you're betting on the fact that this stock may go up. and You could sell it when the stock rises. The chances of this happening on an individual basis are slim. Now, somebody can get lucky, but you can't time it because the timing is controlled by Wall Street, the individual brokerage houses. And people are starting to realize this. And the highest rate of return for an investor is junk bonds. Junk bonds are called junk bonds because there's a risk that the people who owe money on those bonds may not be able to pay the money. The first big one was Orange County, California. This goes back 15, maybe maybe 20 years now. Orange County made promises that they could not keep. And whether this was a, a bad luck or a tragedy that occurred in Orange County because people couldn't pay their taxes to the county, or whether Orange County says, we'll jump on this and we'll scam them. And when the time comes, we'll be out of office. We'll be retired. We'll be sailing down to Costa Rica on our yacht. And somebody else is going to get left holding the bag. Well, 
Orange County was put into receivership. The state of California took over Orange County, and the people that had the Orange County bonds didn't get their money. Well, as people get nervous about the state of the economy in our nation today, they are starting to say, you know what? I am going to withdraw that money, and I'm going to buy some gold. I'm going to buy some silver, and I'm going to buy some land. I'm going to go live on that land, and I'm going to hunker down. and I'll have a lifetime supply of firewood and have a nice little home on this piece of land that I own and get out of this rat race. And people are doing it. Other people who have land, they're no longer able to fully utilize it, are selling the land. guy calls up and says, you know, I'm going to downsize. I think we're going to move down to North Carolina and get tired of paying the taxes up here. So we're going to go to North Carolina where you can register your Buick for 35 bucks, No excise tax. No income tax. You don't have to go all the way to Florida and deal with that hassle. You go to North Carolina, South Carolina, whatever, Tennessee. Some people like West Virginia because it's hilly country and it's scenic. kind of reminds of a Maine. It's a pleasant place. So they're moving. And they're putting their land up for sale because they're not going to be enjoying it to the extent that they used to. And there are certain little segments of the real estate market that are doing well. I call them uh, pockets of prosperity. You know, I used to, have, when I first started out in this business, we were in a big slump, 1990, 91. And the real estate housing market was in a big slump. I've been now doing this for 26 years. And I have never sought a home listing. People come to me and say, you sell my house? I say, yep, I can sell your house. You know, we'll set a price. And the guy wants 149000 for a house that's worth 79000 I say, I'm sorry. I, like, I can't do it. He says, what do you mean? So I can't do it. I cannot get $179,000 for that house. Whatever. You know, if it's worth, he wants twice as much as what it's worth on the market. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do it. Jeez, you know, you're in the real estate business. I say, yeah, but I'm not a empirical worker. You know, all, you know, you can't get blood out of a turnip. So, <clears throat> I turned down some. I turned down some land listings. Says, I just can't do it. You know, why should I advertise this for a year and give this guy hope that it could sell when it isn't going to sell? It's just unless unless the East West Highways came through and somebody's going to offer him more than the land is worth to buy it, so they can run the East West Highway through, it's not going to sell. It's it's not being cruel, it's not being disrespectful, it's just being honest. You know, you can't get this much money for this piece of property. I. Seriously doubt that anybody would pay that much for it. And, so, you know, so they get a little indignant. They just have this dream that, I'm sorry, but I bust, <laughs> well, I had to bust your bubble. But in this market, 
you know, it's not going to happen. The town of Millinocket sold 16 houses for $48,000. That's an average of $3,000 a house. That's what they're worth. They had an opportunity to buy at higher prices. But the average home in our nation in the last few years has declined in value in 30%. Now, waterfront property is good, solid investment. But average now, the average price of the average home has declined 30%. And that's truth. They look at it in the financial magazines. You look at it in the real estate magazines. There are a lot of real estate brokers who are not renewing their membership as a realtor. They're getting out of the business because they can't support their family in this occupation. Just, the market is, is not good in general. But there are little what I call pockets of prosperity and niches that, uh, that meet the need. A lot of people from Maine are coming home to Maine. And they say they don't want to be in the rat race. They want to get back. They just have this feeling that things are not going to go well over the next few years. And the small-town businessman who has been a solid supporter of the Republican Party just decided not to donate this year because they weren't happy with the direction the party was going. And it's not just Maine. It's a lot of small states, a lot of small businessmen who have led prosperous, responsible lives, employing people and working within the system as it used to be. And they stopped donating. And they sent letters, you know, they sent letters to me all the time. Hey, please donate to the Republican Congressional Fund. Well, Republican congressmen have not been doing a good job. They're not supporting the platform they ran on, many of them. Not all of them. You've got a core group of good, solid fiscal responsibility people down there, but they're few in number. And they're working together, and they're trying to influence things. Paul Ryan is now the Speaker of the House. Now, this guy ran with Romney, the father of Romney Care, the grandfather of Obamacare. You wonder why, I mean, just about anybody in our country, pick somebody out of the phone book and they could do a better job than Obama's doing. But it's what we've got. And two years ago, the Republican Party decided not to impeach this clown. He is breaking the law. Left and right. We have not had a budget in seven years. And they just passed this thousand-page spending bill that Ryan and Obama came up with. Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi are just giddy with delight. And Obama said, we beat them. We beat them. Nobody wants to be 
blamed for the situation that we're in. But Ryan gave Obama a going-away present. No debt limit for the rest of your presidency. Spend what you want to spend. Stick it to the people. And when they're doing it, now they pass this spending bill. It is not a budget. It will not balance. And the reason that there's a glut of oil is that the people that produce oil, petroleum companies, and the people that drill wells, that pull oil out of the ground, expected that there would be a demand for oil. People can't afford it. We've got 95 million people in our country not working. Norway is worried because their unemployment rate got up to 3%. 3%. That's unusually high for Norway. If you want to work in Norway, you, you could find a job. Except for the Muslims that are flooding in there. Now, Sweden got buried with 100,000 Muslims expect to be paid to live by the Swedes. There's an idea. Norway's not doing that. So, there's a pair of countries right beside each other up there in the Nordic countries. And Norway is a NATO country like Turkey and like the United States of America. And Norway... It's hard to fool a Norwegian. <laughs> half of my family was Norwegians, the other half was Swedes. And uh, they're hard-working, persevering people, both of them, Scandinavians. I'm 100% Scandinavian. Go back far enough, there might be something else in there. But, but uh, my, my grandparents were Norwegians and Swedish. And I, you know, I... I've always worked all my life and uh, lost a job. They just did away with the department. So I, the following day, I started building a cedar strip canoe. And I'd never been unemployed before. And I always had a job. Get done with one job and go to the next job. I'd give my notice and, and leave. And I called the state unemployment service. Said, "Hey, uh, okay, if I build a canoe, you know, am I going to get taxed on the canoe?" And uh, they just didn't understand that a person could be self-employed. It's not not in their mindset. So, built canoes for a little while, and then cedar strip canoes. I I may mention that in the course of the show sometime in the future, but. Cedar strip canoes are a, are a thing of beauty. A guy from Maine wrote about it. Gil Gilpatrick wrote a book about how to build a cedar strip canoe, and they're very popular in Maine. And they're inexpensive to build. It takes a lot of time, but uh, material cost is low. So if you know how to do it, you can build canoes. And they're a thing of beauty. And then somebody called me up, and they wanted to, 
wanted to hire me to, uh, to sell wrapper paper for paper mills. Well, I was in the finishing department. I'd been in finishing and all the mills. And, and uh, well, what do you want? What, what, what would my territory be? He said, Canada. So what part? There's a whole thing, you know, go sell in Canada. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. So I sold wrapper paper from Grand Falls, Newfoundland, over near Gander, all the way to Fletcher River, British Columbia, on Vancouver Island. Up the north end of Vancouver Island, there's a paper mill sitting there at Fletcher River. Vancouver is a big island, and you would think that an island wouldn't have rivers. But it rains so much in British Columbia that they've got big rivers on Vancouver Island. They use the hydropower, and they have paper mills. They can float logs down to the paper mill from the island. Interesting place. They've got big trees out there. They look like a beech tree, but the bark falls off every year. <laughs> this tree, bark falls off every year. Grows new bark. Never, never seen anything like it. They like birch trees. It's not like a cross between a beech and a birch. Good, rugged, hardwood tree, and the bark falls off every year. You get these piles of bark all around the tree at the bottom. Some kind of squirrels live in there. But you see, go across a nation like Canada, and you see that you've got a lot of variety of occupations and natural resources and rivers. It was, it was an interesting eight years that I worked for that company. And I had went all over Canada. They give me a Ford Explorer. They said, you can have any vehicle you want as long as it's a Ford. Because the owner of the company liked Fords. And and uh, I had to get three prices when it came time to buy a vehicle. I could pick what I wanted. So I'd go into car dealership and say, I am going to buy a Ford Explorer. I want it to be dark green. I want the best seat you can get. It doesn't have to be leather, but it has to be adjustable so a tall man is comfortable and uh, they had he came out with V6s at first and then they went to the V8 they had a 305 V8 5 liter V8 the V8 got the same mileage as the V6 did because you're moving the same vehicle down the road but when you wanted it you wanted to pass somebody you could punch it and it would flat go it was a good good vehicle Put on 50,000 miles, trade it in, get another one. That was a company policy. They always wanted you to ride a new car. Good job. I liked it so much, I bought one. I had two dark green Ford Explorers sitting in the driveway. One was mine, one belonged to the company. I wouldn't drive into Walmart in a company vehicle. That was a company vehicle. I wanted to go someplace and use my own vehicle. So uh, I'd go in and say, I want to buy a vehicle, Ford Explorer, this is what I want. If you don't have one, you can get one. The dealer would call back a week later, two weeks later, say, hey, I found a vehicle. I said, well, I'm already driving the new one, but I'll be back next time. I'll stop in and see if you want to sell had to get three prices. I bought a bunch of them from Darlings in Bangor. Because when you're driving 60,000, 70,000 miles a year, you're getting a new 
a new vehicle every nine or ten months to drive. They love me. Bring that in there. Still in good shape, not banged up. Never been off-road. Never been stuck in the mud. All I do is drive across Canada. I would go as far as Toronto. West of Toronto, I just rent a vehicle. You don't want to kill. Time is valuable. So I'd, I'd fly out of Fredericton, go to Vancouver, British Columbia, or wherever. But that's industry. We had a we had a problem with packaging with Domtar, and I solved the packaging problem. They were really happy about it. Wanted to hire me. <laughs> no, I didn't want to work up there. I worked for a U.S. company, but I didn't want to live in Canada. No freedom up there. But anyway, the president of Domtar. Stepped into this meeting and everybody stood up, so I stood up. We were introduced, and he said, Well, he said, good job on that packaging problem. He said, Solve the problem. I said, Yes, sir. We'd like to buy the mill in Woodland. Well, GP would probably like to sell the mill. I knew they were thinking about it. Dumtar bought the mill. Now, that would have been a heck of a real estate commission if I had sold that one, but that, uh, I told them, I said, look, it's a good mill, good labor contract, good resource base. And they've got the deepest, they've got the best deep water port closest to Europe in North America, right there in Eastport. And they said, yeah, we know that. That's one of the reasons we want to buy the mill. Because we can ship, (laughs) we had a couple of bad winters when I was up there. And uh, during the eight years I worked up there. And the St. Lawrence River freezes up every year. And I'd go up to Riviera de Loop. You go up to Madawaska and go across into Edmonston, uh, New Brunswick, and you go north out of there, and you don't go very far before you're in Quebec. Up over the height of land, down the other side, get up to Riviera de Loop on the St. Lawrence River. And I'd go across from there up to... Uh, some paper mills on the north side of the St. Lawrence, Malbay and uh, Bay Como. And we got stuck in the ice. The, the tide and the wind were against us, and the ferry boat, is an icebreaker, got stuck in the ice. <laughs> and I didn't make my appointment. And I apologized profusely when I got there, and they thought it was a big, they thought it was a big deal. I, yeah, he's, now you're one of us. You've been stuck in the ice. It's sort of like a rite of passage like swimming across a lake when you're a kid, you know. And we, uh, they have to deal with the ice. 1984, I walked across the lake here during deer season. And I ran sled dogs at the time. And I said, well, what a great place for having a sled dog race right in Lincoln, Maine. So we went, I approached a couple of the of the uh, clubs, like the Rotary Club and the Lions Club, and I said, you know, I said, we ought to have a sled dog race. What would it take? This, all I'd have to do is tell them they'd come. What's it going to cost? Not much. Nine trophies. One tro- trophy for the three-dog class, one trophy for the five-dog class, and one trophy for the open class. Run as many dogs as you want. 
trophies don't cost much, and people have a good time. We'll bring a bunch of people into Lincoln that wouldn't otherwise be here on a weekend in February. Yeah, they'll spend money in Lincoln. They'll stay in the motels. They'll go to the restaurants, and uh, it'll be something to see. We did that for several years. But Christmas Day, 1985, Mananaw Cook Lake in Lincoln was wide open water, shore to shore. Open water. I thought, oh, what have I done? I've scheduled a sled dog race. It's supposed to take place on this lake, and the lake didn't freeze. Well, first or second week of February, it was well before the basketball tournament, that lake had 22 inches of ice on it. So we had open water in eight, on Christmas Day in 1985 in Lincoln. It wasn't climate change. It was weather. And we had 22 inches of ice on the lake, trucks all over the lake, the day we had the sled dog race, first or second week of February, whenever it was, early February. Didn't want to compete with the basketball tournament. That's, that's a big deal in Maine. So, right now, it's warm. I've got a camp on a lake, and the lake is frozen over and opened up. It froze over. It opened up. And I would bet that it opened up last night. If it didn't, it'll probably open up tomorrow night because it's going to be warm and it's going to be windy. And that's what erodes the the ice from below and above. The bottom, bottom of the ice is 32 degrees. The top of the ice is pretty much whatever the wind is. And we may have it ice up and go out three times before New Year's Eve. <laughs> it's weather. It's not climate change. And this climate change scam they just had in Europe was the biggest farce. And they announced that this we've got the solution. We're gonna, gonna do away with petroleum use. Well guess what? We've got tankers full of petroleum all over all over the world. They had three tankers. Uh thanks Steve. I I saw your note on the internet opened up my email this morning and uh, three tankers were headed for Europe from the Gulf of Mexico they turned around and came back because there's no place to unload it all the fuel storage tanks in Europe are full now the reason they're full and the oil prices down is that people in Europe don't have the loose change to buy fuel and go on trips and their unemployment rate is going up because they're full of Muslims, and there's no jobs. People are scared to travel. In our country, right now, the murder rate is the lowest it has been since 1911. What is it? No. 1901. 1901. It's the lowest murder rate from firearms in the country. 114 years is the lowest murder rate. Yet the news media would would tell you we're having a crisis. We've got to take all the firearms away because we've got a crisis. 
It's the lowest rate in over 100 years. We don't have a crisis with firearms. We've got a crisis with drugs. With the exception of the Muslims that are starting to go crazy like that Major Nidal down in Fort Hood, Texas, shot a whole bunch of his fellow soldiers. He was an immigrant, by the way. He was a Muslim terrorist when he came here, and he worked his way into the Army, and he says, well, you know, we've got to have an opportunity for him to be an officer because we have to have, you know, we have to have diversity. Well, they've got diversity. Look what they got us. He killed a bunch of soldiers. He was working as a psychologist, counseling soldiers coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq. And he's a Muslim. (laughs) I don't know what he was telling these soldiers. But we have got, we don't have any people looking at the big picture in our nation, in our government, I should say. We've got lots of people who see the big picture in our nation. This is the anniversary of the Tea Party in Boston. Actually, it was on the 16th of December, 1773. But we had the Boston Tea Party. And the East India Company was bringing tea to New England, port of Boston. And they said we had to buy this tea, and we had to pay a tea tax. And there were no paper mills in our country at that time, so we had to pay a tax on every sheet of paper that we bought from the British. And there were no gunpowder factories. All of the gunpowder came primarily from Belgium, France, and England. So people were very careful in guarding of their gunpowder and their firearms because they were precious. They were a vital part of their life. And we had the Tea Party, and a bunch of citizens, businessmen in Boston, got some bunch of turkey feathers, and they they uh, threw the tea in the high. They swarmed over these British ships, the British East India Company, and they threw the tea in the harbor. And this caused a <laughs> great consternation, and so the British started to tax us more and more, and they started to arrest people and take them to London for trial. Well, you couldn't exactly bring any character witnesses with you to London on your under arrest on this this terrible conditions on these prison ships. So anyway, they we ended up having a revolution. They got a little froggy, and they decided they're going to have they're going to go out to Concord and seize our munitions. Firearms, gunpowder, bullets, balls, and our provisions because the British troops been cooped up there in Boston for all winter, and uh, they they needed to get some more food. That didn't go well for the Redcoats. They had just gone out there and tried to seize some provisions and some farm animals and one thing or another. Maybe there wouldn't have been a Revolutionary War started that day, but they went after our firearms. And it's not going to happen. It didn't happen then, and it's not going to happen now. You've got a bunch of blue-helmeted Belgians 
coming down the road, going house to house, trying to seize our firearms. It's not going to go well for the Blue Helmeted Belgians, just like it didn't go well for the Redcoats in Boston. And the people inside the Beltway do not understand this. I mean, you got you got Chris Christie's New Jersey across the river from New York City. And you got that lunatic of a mayor down there that campaigned on an anti-police platform. And he was elected. The turnout for that election in Boston, excuse me, in New York City, was 5%. 5% of the eligible voters voted. And the 5% that voted him in in a field of a few candidates, voted for him because of his anti-police platform. And people are starting to kill the policemen in New York City. You can't make this stuff up. This, this country can't continue to run this way. So you got Chris Christie over there in New Jersey who has a wretched record of tyranny and there's no human rights in New Jersey. They had a guy from Ohio or someplace who got a new job in New Jersey, get transferred by his company. He's a, some sort of a manager in a company. And he came to New Jersey and driving to his, he, he made arrangements to rent a house somewhere in the middle of New Jersey. And he got stopped for a traffic violation. And there was a gun case on the back seat. They're going to put this guy in jail. He's simply moving from one state to another. And they're going to put him in jail for him. For a year. Well, they eventually they got him to drop the charges. He had to pay a fine. Took away his rifle. And uh, welcome to New Jersey, fella. And then you got this lunatic governor in Connecticut who wants to confiscate all the private firearms in Connecticut. In Connecticut, you might get away with that. You know, they might not shoot the guy that comes to the house wanting to confiscate his firearm in Connecticut. They may just roll over and and become slaves. But some states won't do that. You try to do that in Idaho or Alaska or Maine. Now, Maryland, they've got a lunatic governor down there who has a terrible record on human rights. Might get away with that in Maryland, just outside the Beltway there around Washington, D.C. But nationally, they're not going to get a chance to do that. And when they start killing Americans who simply say, no, I'm not turning over my firearms. I need it today for the same reason our forefathers needed it, to protect my family then what's going to happen? They're going to have to decide how many Americans are they going to kill for this rule, which is in violation of the Constitution. I don't know. It's going to be... (laughs) Confucius said, may you live in interesting times. Well, we're going to have some interesting times. They're coming right up because they gave Obama a free ride 
He doesn't belong there. He should have been impeached years ago. Yeah, they're just going to let him go. 9.59 in the morning. I got a stack of stuff. I could go all week. But Caterpillar, now let me leave you with one thing. Caterpillar sells a huge amount of heavy construction equipment to China. They don't have any sales. Caterpillar is going to lay off 10,000 employees for the same reason that there's a glut of oil in the world. No demand. People can't afford to buy stuff because the jobs are going away. And it's intentional. You can look at Agenda 21. You can look at the UN. You can look at what's happening. You can look at our the people that we have in office. And it's not going to get any better, and it may not get better peacefully. Christmas is coming up. I'm, I'm going to run the show over a couple of minutes. I hope it doesn't get cut off. I substitute taught at Christmas time in a very small school in Maine a couple of decades ago. And the teacher who had to leave because of a family emergency uh, left an assignment for the kids to say what they wished for this Christmas. And I read down the list, and I I almost couldn't couldn't read it. I hope that Susie's mother boyfriend won't be mean on Christmas. I hope that Jimmy's mother will be alive on Christmas. I hope that Billy's house will be warm this Christmas. These kids have had it tough. And as our economy declines in Maine, it's going to continue to be tough. And it's going to get tougher. But we tend to be tough people. And we need to suck it up. And we're going to get through this. We're going to survive this. And Maine is one of the best states to do it in. So when new people come here, we need them. Welcome them. It's going to be a great breakfast tomorrow morning, Springfield, Maine. And waffles, and pancakes, sausage, bacon, orange juice, hot coffee, eggs the way you want them at the Somerville Club, right on Main Street in Springfield. You can't beat it. This has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, Conscious of Maine, broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer and Bangor, Maine. Hey, Christmas time. You can go fishing with your grandson in open water. Who would have thought? Merry Christmas and God bless. Wise men follow him.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.